One, two, two three. Oh, hold on, three. Okay. okay, hold on. Wait, wait, okay. Are you recording video right now? You, yes. Okay. One. The bloopers. Okay. One, two, three. Episode one, Witcher three, the Wild Hunt. So yeah, so this is gonna be uh, a podcast about games. Specifically, I think the games that we're big fans of, right, Mike? That's right. But this is not a review. We're just talking about games we love. Yeah, sort of in a retrospective fashion. Uh, I mean, we're both uh, getting up there in age, uh, Mike. You know, we've been. <laughs> playing games for a while. I think we have uh, a lot of games that we both really like and have a lot to say about. Which is crazy because, yeah, we have been playing games for a long time, but I find myself going back now with like all these emulators that are coming out, like the Switch emulators that are available for the online. And I'm like playing games that I avoided so actively when I was a kid, like from Super Nintendo and N64 that now I'm just like, I'm loving for the first time. I wonder if these games were ever meant for child Michael. What would be an example? An example was like when we were playing uh, Super Nintendo Tennis. Like, I hated that game. Like, I hated games like that. I still kind of hated it when we played it. Both those tennis games were terrible. It's fine. Fine. We were fine. We were fine. It was fun. That's the point. But, uh, yeah, let's... You know what I was thinking? A fun thing to do is we have to introduce ourselves. But I think you should introduce me and I should introduce you. Okay. Uh, so over to my left here is, uh, Michael Krim, the man, the myth, the legend, a man of, uh, many talents, uh, singer, songwriter, writer, actor, director, producer, philosopher, uh, am I missing anything? You're homeless? <laughs> Hard worker, uh, you know, just all around great guy, uh, been we've been friends for uh 13 years now yeah yeah and we started i think by talking about what philosophy and gaming wasn't it gaming didn't we like meet in the room and somehow stumble onto gaming very early on music it was music it was music i think it was, it was music. music yeah uh talking about probably tool and then it went from there okay anything in the 90s that rocked yeah yeah you're right yeah all the good stuff yeah <laughs> and this to my right slash your right, I hope, yeah, you're right, is Steve Belair. Bel Air, as he loves to say. Beller. Stephen Beller. But Steve. Steve Z. The Armenian Thunderous, we used to call him in the drumming days. Steve is a drummer, a voice actor, a on and off again motorcycle mechanic, a adventurer and lover of all things fast that are mechanized, a philosopher as well. Uh, and a lover and a great trainer of all things husky and dog-like. Aww. <laughs> but uh, that's us. Uh, you know, quick little blurb. Blurb. Apparently I can't, 
It's a great way to start things off when I'm already messing up words. This is going to go fantastic. It's fine. It's fine. They're just words. <laughs> words just make up the bulk of a podcast, Mike. It, it, in fact, a podcast is only words, but we don't need to talk about that. We don't need to talk. Yeah. We're not here to talk about words. We're here to talk about games. And specifically, we decided to start off with Witcher 3. The Wild Great segue. Yeah. Yeah. And why did we start off with Witcher 3, Stephen? Well, I think a bit of it was uh, a pragmatic choice because you have just finished it recently. Uh, and it's a game that we both love, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked me. So you tried to talk me into it for like four or five years. You got it. You got into it even before the DLCs came out. And you were like, you got to play this game, bro. And I was like, nah, I'm playing like Dragon Age Origin and like, or Dragon Age Inquisition and all these other games. And, you know, it's funny because I found this huge rivalry online between Dragon Age Inquisition and Witcher 3 because they came out kind of the same time. And I like totally don't regret starting with Dragon Age Inquisition, but wow, Witcher 3 is a superior game. Like, wow. Not even remotely doesn't touch it. Sure, it's, there's definitely a clear winner in that rivalry. And, you know, maybe in a way, Mike, you made it even better for yourself because you had to be there in the muck with Dragon Age Inquisition before you could be up in the clouds with The Witcher yeah. 3. Yeah, and there's, and there's a lot of parallels, too. I mean, like, they, they, both, they both revolve around a similar lore, and I guess this is another good segue where The Witcher is in a world where magic is sort of not outlawed, but it's it's clearly if you are a magician or a magic wielder in both worlds, in both games, you are different than the majority of society. And in some way, you're either in one franchise, you're segregated and the other, you're sort of, I don't want to say deified, but you're just part of like orders that are aren't hunted down and hounded. But uh, but you are the one that sort of started on the Witcher franchise. Like I know the Witcher started originally as a video game series by, uh, I'm going to pronounce, I'm Polish, and this is funny, uh, Andrzej Sapkowski in 1997. And then it was eventually turned into a video game. And the Witcher yeah, video yeah. games sort of take, uh, take off and continue on where his books ended. But The Witcher itself is about a monster hunter named Geralt who has been embedded with a number of Witcher mutations that have made him superhuman and able to hunt down monsters that have lived amongst the human realms since the a time called the conjunction of the spheres and all that means is that once upon a time ago parallel universes collided or crossed over one another and as magical creatures were spilling out all over the place uh and the world sort of kept moving on from one another some of those magical creatures stayed behind and these badasses named witchers are trained to slaughter them kill them hunt them befriend them it I'm glad you gave that little intro uh, there because I definitely would have said cataclysm instead of conjunction, which would have been very wrong. And uh, you know, the I guess one of the themes throughout all of the Witchers, it, which you touched upon, is basically if you're not human, you're looked down upon. And the weird irony of the Witchers is, if I'm remembering correctly, it was you know humans and and that made them to hunt the monsters, but then, you know, outcast them. Yeah, because humans suck. Not these two humans. Well, 
Should we have? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I might have some Witcher racism if I was back in the day. I'll tell you, I'd have I'd have mage envy if I was a human in that world. I'd be like, damn, I wish I had magic. Screw these magicians. You know, kind of like I do rich people right now. I don't hate. I them. don't know. I don't think we'd be this edu- uh, this educated and be able to think that way. I think we'd just look at them with fear and disdain. I preferred what you were going to go for, which was edu- educated. Like, I don't even know how you're going to say it, but there was, there was a beautiful word or beautiful mispronunciation that was about to come out there. And that was beautiful. And we uh, There's going to be 600 of those in the next, in the next hour. <laughs> 100%. But, okay. But I have only played Witcher 3. Like, I, I you know, Witcher 3 is Witcher 3 because there's two games before. Duh, obvious, blah, idiot. Uh, but, like, you have played all of them. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where the books end and where what is the story of the three video games and kind of where it starts and like what your journey is with the franchise from the first Witcher game. Sure. Uh, so even to this day, I don't know much about the books. I do know that the games pick up after the books have ended. Uh, and the way that the first Witcher starts, uh, basically you're being you're on a cart uh, being carried back to Kaer Morin, you know, the wolf school, uh, Witcher Tower, because uh, you've lost your memory because something happened with the Wild Hunt. Uh, and as you're, you know, coming back into your own, or Geralt is anyway, and you're trying to regain your memories and become healthy again, Kaer Morin gets attacked because, uh, I forget the character's name, somebody's trying to steal the Witcher mutations. Uh, and basically that game is about hunting that guy down. Uh, it's very different from 2 and 3. Uh, the combat is timing based. And that was only on computer. So you're there, you know, clicking with the mouse in a certain rhythm. And if you don't, your combo breaks and it leaves you very vulnerable. Uh, that was pretty rough around the edges. Uh, you know, tough to go back to. But this... With that game and every Witcher game, for whatever reason, what I always seems to happen, I would play through it, get to a certain point, and then not touch it for like a year. And then I would get the sort of inclination to go back to it and then just play through to the end and have a great experience. Um, you know, one of the big things in the first Witcher, you get introduced to uh, the Scoia'tael, which is this sort of rebel group of the other races, uh, like the elves and the dwarves, who are, once again, outcasts and ostracized and, you know, treated lesser than than humans. Uh, and I don't remember exactly if you can help them or not, but, I mean, throughout all the Witcher games, like you touched on, there's that whole uh, touching us on versus them. them. Yeah, us versus them, you know, racism and all that, and even classism. Uh, the Witcher 2, which is like, I, I, I like it almost as much as The Witcher 3. It's, they're, they're two very different experiences, right? I mean, The Witcher 3 is this massive, massive, unbelievably detailed living world that you can explore to your heart's content. Uh, and as a result, in my opinion, the narrative kind of suffers, whereas The Witcher 2 you know, you're going from place to place to place and it's more focused. And that one starts off with, uh, you know, this epic cutscene of, uh, I forget, Letho, who's another witcher. I can't remember what school, uh, assassinating somebody. 
amazing cutscene. It all takes place on a ship that he freezes and it's breaking apart as he's dodging arrows and it's incredible. And then the game starts with you helping King Foltest uh, assault a uh, castle. You're sort of right out of the gate. You're in this huge battle. And what that game was notorious for was people dropping it like right then and there. Because that game really didn't hold your hand, was super hard right out of the gate, even on normal mode. Uh, like it, it really pushed you to like get good and do it fast. I mean, some people are going to say, oh, whatever, it was super easy. But this was, this is what people were saying back then. And then, uh, so you assault the castle, and at the end, Letho appears, and he kills King Foltest and frames you for the murder. So... By the end of the first game, after you've gotten sort of into everybody's good graces, now you're on the run from pretty much everybody because you've been framed for the murder of a king. So you're trying to navigate your way through the two sides of this war. You're trying to prove your innocence. You're trying to find Letho. I thought it was super, super engaging. Loved it. Same thing happened. Played it for a while. Stopped. Came back a year later and then just demolished it. Like, it was great. I don't know why I do this with Witcher games. Same thing with The Witcher 3. Um, that one I has the CD Projekt Red curse a bit of, you know, <laughs> uh, which is the developers. Uh, you know, when they were showing the trailers and everything, The Witcher 3 just looked way ahead of its time, blew everything out of the water. And then when the time came for it to come out, uh, ran terribly unless you had like the best computer and the graphics didn't look like what they advertised. It was super buggy. So that one, you know, I didn't get too far. And then I think that one was probably two years once that game had gotten really polished that I came back to it and just completely got immersed in it and was telling you over and over again to play it. Yeah, but you know what? It's crazy that you say that because they that is like the big the big talk point they have about the release of it where CG Project Red kind of got stuck in this development limbo after Witcher 1 came out where they were trying to do a console port called um Rise of the White Wolf, I think it's called. Yeah, Rise of the White Wolf. And this took up like 4 to 5 years of their development team. So, like, even The Witcher 2 was supposed to come out earlier, which is interesting because I feel like they struggled sort of with this residual we're behind everything now and our entire our entire sort of, like, schedule we set up for ourselves is kind of pushed back. Because then when Witcher 3 comes out, which you're right, it might be a curse. Like, there was something like 5,000 bugs they found when they first turned it on. And they had to push back the release date even then. But then again, but then the developers claim that that's half the reason we see half the things we see in the game. Like all the good things we love are because it was so bug-ridden it forced the developers to sort of step up and, you know, make it magic, which is, I guess, kind of what happened too with uh, Cyberpunk, right? Yeah, and to be fair to CD Projekt Red, that's almost become the norm uh, to release these buggy games and then fix them as it goes. But even if we go back to around the same time that The Witcher 2 came out, which in my opinion came out in like very good shape, like look at something like Skyrim. 
like half the half that game is the glitches and people love it and and bethesda doesn't get the kind of heat that cd project red does for releasing a game in the same state but i mean that's neither here nor there i just i don't want to make it sound like i'm trying to take shots at cd project red i think they've from where they started making the first witcher game to where they are now is absolutely incredible and you know maybe this is a controversial opinion but i really like cyberpunk 2077 yeah i mean you you got to skip the ps4 version and played on computer though too which everyone says is the ideal way to play yeah but i finally in anticipation of that game you know built my first computer so that it would be able to run it great and you know same thing as the witcher 3 when it was first released it was a buggy mess which isn't the end of the world it's when it's poorly optimized and like even on a beefy system you know it's right like this but visually you know like when it's that choppy it just it's not a fun experience but then coming back after they did all those patches like they didn't it's not like they added to the world or did anything like that they just made the game run smooth and got to experience it it was a freaking blast like that was a great playground well and with witcher 3 they because i noticed in the development the developer's history they at one point were just uh what is it cg a cd project they weren't even cd project red because it wasn't until they partnered with the or they they came up with the whole red engine i think it's called yeah the red engine 3 mm -hmm that that kind of upped their game. So at the same time, good on them compared to someone like Bethesda. I know they're innovating something completely different. And, you know, and everyone's now under this banner of Microsoft EA slash Unreal slash this, this, this. Everyone's kind of all homodulating under one sort of roof or graphics engine. But like they were really ambitious to say like, you know what, none of these existing engines that we could just plug into on its own has enough for us to handle a the the gameplay experience we want to create and b also have the complex narrative and the choice mechanics they they introduced and i think you know and everywhere i was reading online was that cd project red only was able to do that because of this red engine 3 could be uh, i mean that's not a uh, that didn't used to be an uncommon practice uh, i know like uh, bioware think their engine is called the aurora engine that they built uh, mass effect on so that wasn't uncommon uh i think it's becoming less common now i mean especially with the unreal engine 5 like the stuff that it can do is just unbelievable and I mean, why wouldn't you use it if you can uh but some some developers are still out there doing it but yeah good on them i mean they they did they did great they did great but the aurora engine was part of this original build because that was like in the development, the developers, I guess, Almanac, or, you know, when you look back at the history of it, they say that was one of the first uh, sort of engines that allowed you to not just carbon copy uh, landscapes and reuse them over and over again. You could actually, like, create these dynamic, beautiful environments. And that was one of the first things, actually, because, like, funny that you said all this stuff about Witcher 2 and 1 and 2, because, like, you know, I dipped a toe in Witcher 1, and, like, the story was cool, so it was keeping me going, even though the gameplay, like you said, was this, like, click click and it was tough it, it, it was very especially come like reverse gaming that like i was like playing that in 2016 so almost 10 years later it was a bit oh yeah yeah it was tough it was tough but like i i did it because the story was so friggin good and then with number two i tried to do the same but i reached these points where i just like 
I couldn't get by it. But then with Witcher 3, the thing that got me was A, they made it a lot more accessible because they give you this white orchard area, which you kind of start the game with, right? And in White mm -hmm. Orchard, you it's this beautiful tutorial where they don't rush you through it. You can take your time. Like You're going to run into sporadic monsters, and you're going to run into bigger monsters, and you're going to run into humans, and you're going to run into all the challenges you're going to run into in the game. But it's like, it's not all at once crushing you like Witcher 2 to spit you out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of White Orchard, I mean, I'll, I got to ask you this question. When you went from, when you got out of White Orchard and you saw what was ahead of you, I mean, what was, to me, that was mind-blowing. I, I couldn't believe, White Orchard felt so big already, and then for all of that to open up, like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was overwhelmed. Because, like, mm -hmm. the thing is, though, they they don't just start you off in White, like, White Orchard is beautifully contained like big box you get to play in. Cool, cool. Um, and it's like, and what I was going to say about the Aurora engine, what caught me right away was the landscape diversity. It, it, like when I was riding through the forest, it didn't just feel like I was like, somebody took a, a small part of the forest and just like copy, copy, copy. It was like, you ride through a little forest and it's like, oh, a little new bush area that wasn't somewhere else I've seen. Oh my God, now past that's like this little weird pond that's just kind of useless to me, but beautiful. And then a different forest compared to the one I was just driving through. And it's, it's like, there's nothing there, but yet they took the time using a roar engine to do that. So like, I was already blown away. So then, sorry? The red engine, you mean? No, but the Aurora engine is what they were using for landscape originally. That was like oh, the OG okay. thing they used to populate the landscape. I think that's like, well, at least what my, my research came up. Uh, mm -hmm. So then I get to, you know, a place that's supposed to be Velen to the South and Novigrad to the North. And I didn't know where to start. Like, they, they start you off right in the middle of it. And I was like, is this one of those areas where I can just go north and south? Like, I found out after the fact, like, there is a storyline block that keeps you from allowing to go too far to the north. Like, there's the bridges that you have to get the pass for. And you mm -hmm. have to explore the south, which is a.k.a. Velen. And fi find, like, one of five ways you can get a pass. Because there is a couple ways you can get a pass. You don't just have to play the main story beats there's like a side quest that can get you the pass. There's a main story arc that can get you the pass. And there's like another way you can play the main storyline that can get you the pass as well. And then I've heard there's like another way too. Um, and then you can't really progress past that. So, but I just was attracted to this beautiful, grim, grotesque, dark swampland called Velen, which was just so... Oh, you know, I'm Polish. So it spoke to my Polish soul. It was like this grim, dark disgusting brooding dreadful place and i was like god i feel at home god i feel like you just offended all of poland uh right there with equating that to the <laughs> i don't know i just i think as a I, something i feel like i have as a polish person which uh, some of my polish friends as well not all of them i'm not going to generalize all polish people here we have a bit more of a melancholic soul let's say and there's like uh I don't know. It just spoke to my melancholic sensibilities. Maybe that's a better way to say it. It's a poetic. Yeah. And then, you know, there's Velen down here. There's Novigrad up there. There's all that stuff to the east, which you're free to explore. And then you get the pass and you can go to Skellige. And it feels as big as everything else, but it's its own area. Like, it just... I, I don't even... I like... If you had to guess, how much do you think you've done? I would think maybe for me, 
25 to 30%. And that's after 150 hours. Well, you know my history of this game because <laughs> I took it a little more personally than you did. Well, okay, okay. I'm going to say closer to 70 to 80%. 70, I'd say for me, only because, you know, I got stuck in my in my cursed sort of playthrough where, you know, I got, there's a number of different endings you can get to the game. And you and I both got a bad ending. We got, we got the worst ending. The worst ending, yes. We both got the worst ending. Yeah. And uh, mine's a little bit shorter, so I'll just say this. You know, I think by the time I got to that just terribly depressing, demoralizing ending, I was maybe at 70 or 80 hours. And I, I like one, I couldn't believe that that just happened because I thought I'd made the right choices. Uh, apparently not. So I had to go back. Like I couldn't live with that ending because I think at, especially at this point, uh, the DLCs had come out. So I didn't it, like narratively, especially, which is, I think a big sticking point for both of us. It didn't make sense to go to the Blood and Wine DLC when this ending happens and implies essentially that Geralt lets himself die. So, go ahead. But there, the what we're talking about here is that there is a character. In short, what Witcher Three is about is that it's a culmination of Geralt's post Witcher One and Two stories, which is where he starts. He's it sort of culminates in a character named Siri, which is his adopted daughter that was given to him by a. What's the term? Uh, Law of Surprise. Yeah. Law of Surprise. For those people who've watched the show, you know who Siri is. And if you haven't, it was the daughter of a queen. I think the queen of Temeria that was, you know, Geralt evoked the Law of Surprise. And so the, the, you're sort of given like a surprise gift. The next thing that you, you, if you're going, you're traveling somewhere with that person or you're going somewhere with that person, the next thing you guys come across is like, the thing you get to keep and by chance when he evokes it in the show at least they dramatize it with oh my god she's pregnant so therefore Geralt kind of is rewarded Ciri her unborn daughter as the law of surprise she's even born with like the same kind of hair he has yeah it I I think that definition is a bit off I don't think it's the next thing um it's just it's sort of like I don't want to say dealer's choice but uh, because because the witchers use the law of surprise to get children in, instead of payment, because notoriously the witcher mutations are very hard to survive. And when the witchers were thriving, they would get lots of kids uh, instead of taking payment to try and make more witchers and the majority of them die. Well, so fast forward, series in your mm -hmm. life, she's your daughter yes. and she just vanishes because she's got these badass magic skills that are like next level compared to most magicians and now she's coming back and you throughout the end game when Siri sort of steps back into the uh the narrative you have a number of choices you have to make which you have complete autonomy over deciding and we just I thought I thought I was preparing her for a real world I was like you know I'm like this witcher I'm like hey man and I thought I was, the choices I was making were the supportive ones, like, as in to say, like, I got your back, 
it turns out I was being like a helicopter parent and that was terrible. <laughs> is this is this how we are as dog dads? Is that is that what that means? Probably. Probably. Yeah, we're, we're not such great dog owners after all, or uh, Witcher dads. Listen, just because I I I want I want Siri to be by my side so I can decapitate anybody who comes near her with a 10-foot pole doesn't make me a bad mm -hmm. dad. It just makes me miss her all the more. It's not my fault she disappeared into the, the nether for like aeons, like, I don't know, for half of my freaking lifetime. Yeah, and is now being chased by the wild hunt, which is why you're trying to find her first, because they want her power. But, uh, so yes, so... Bad endings. Talk about your bad ending, and then we'll go to what we both did. Okay. Well, my bad ending was like, like you, I played about 60, 65 hours in, and then I just wanted to get to the end because I wanted to check out the DLCs. And I get to the end, and I'm like, okay, badass, badass, badass. And I'm playing this on normal mode at the time, right? Because you know what I did after, which I will reveal in a second. Yeah. You know, I, I played this on normal mode, and I'm like, uh... You know, let's just get to the end so I can get to the DLC so I can see what's going on. Like, cool, this quest line's going to end. And everyone had told me the DLCs were so big. So I was, like, excited to play this whole second game after the game. And then, like, this thing happens and, like, Siri just doesn't come back. <laughs> and then Geralt, like, dies. And, and then I'm like, no. No. Like, I have yeah. invested too much. Like, this game... I remember, like, there is something about the combination of, like, their soundtrack and, like, these beautiful moments you have with, like, the women you fall in love with, like, Yen and Triss, where, like, it already had gripped me in the heart in a way a game hasn't narratively in perhaps a decade, maybe more. Like, I've been wowed by cool gameplay, but I haven't been wowed emotionally and, like, made to feel, like, memories. Memories. Honestly, mm. real-life human memories in video game form in a long time. And then to see it all come to such a, a terrible, terrible ending, I was like, no, 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 yeah. I was, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. Couldn't let it stand. It. I couldn't let it stand. But what you did is a bit different than what I did. Uh, so I looked up what are the main choices that are going to influence this ending. And basically, those choices start from the you know the last stand at Kaer Morhen, which is not really the last stand because the game continues from there. So I went back to that point, and if memory serves, you replayed the whole game. Yep. What? So what motivated you to go all the way back to the beginning instead of just going from Kaer Morhen? Because I didn't have a save file. No. Oh. <laughs> okay 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 hold on hold on this but like let's let's just add let's just add in a little bit here okay let's add in a little bit here because sure it's still funny but it's still funny so like the thing you're not mentioning is that you and i had a conversation after i finished and you told me you 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 like let you loaded me up with like this question about like what was your ending like and i was like yeah this is what happened it was shit like i hate this game <laughs> i was like i love this game but i hate this game and you're like yeah i had a save file and I just went back and I replayed it. And I was like, I don't have a safe file. And I was like, I was ready to just be like, this is it. Like, I will never find out what the DLCs are like or what the good ending's like. And I just like brooded over it. 
I brooded and I brooded and I brooded. And then one day I was like, I loved the lore and like, I mean, because like, you know, I remember one of the first things that captivated me about this game is that there is the Batman games like Batman Arkham Asylum and Batman Arkham City. And there's this detective mode when you're tracking uh, different criminals where they have that in The Witcher. So there was like this beautiful, like you're a detective, but a monster hunter detective. And like, there was no game besides Batman that allowed me to feel that way. And I wanted to feel that way without being Batman. Like I wanted the, the, the fulfillness again. So then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to, to restart this game on new game plus, And I'm going to play it on the hardest difficulty death March. And I said, I'm going to play it until I just get frustrated with a boss and that boss slaughters me, which I thought was going to be the main, the first big main baddie, which is like an arch griffin you have to fight in White Orchard. Like, I thought that's what it was going to get me. Because like those first fights, even on New Game Plus, you get, so when you restart New Game Plus, you keep the armaments. So like the armor and the swords you, you ended with and you get to keep all your coin and all of your potions and your decoctions and your spells and what your leveled up magic has been up until there right because with the witcher the the biggest thing is like you have which is i guess something we totally skipped over like one of the most unique things in this game is that you can really master one of three art forms you can master uh, combat which is just you know sword play you get a silver sword against monsters and you get a steel sword that's effective against humans you can uh, master potions which is like these toxic not potions. They're not potions. They're freaking uh, decoctions. Yeah, decoctions. But they are like poisons. Like the the witchers are known for having this resistance to poison. These decoctions, and like you can become a badass at mixing the right kind of uh, decoctions and making you guys stronger that way. Or you can get badass at your signs, which is the equivalent of magic in this game. Which you start with all of them, but you can level them up. Certain. Acts. It's not magic. It's not magic. It's not magic because if it was magic, then the the wizards and uh, witches would be using signs, but they don't use signs. So it, it's it's like Witcher magic, but it's not the same magic that the mages and the witches are using. Sure, it's like the middle step between magic and like what alchemy was in Full Metal Alchemist, almost. Yeah, do this, and you know you got a shield. Well, only Edward <laughs> and Alphonse, yeah. But we're not gonna go down a great great show, but. Um, Join us on our anime podcast. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in five years, will we make no money off this one? No, um, that's right. But you know, and I just thought, like, what game allows me to so fluidly, you know? And I have played so many open world games, and this is the first game where they there's no stealth, you know. So it was like it really can cater to both someone who wants to be cautious and take their time and work through the narrative, or someone who just wants to rush in, max out their salt stats. And just their sword stats and just kind of start slaughtering, you know, it, it speaks to both sides, you know. And and so I thought, you know, if I'm going to I want it, I want it, I want this game to end right. And I want to do this to the max. And next thing I know, I got through all of White Orchard on Death March and I just kept going and I beat the entire game plus the DLC on Death March. Which good for you, man. I I'm not like I didn't have a hard time on normal, uh, especially once you hit like level 30 on normal everything becomes pretty easy i did the witcher 2 on whatever the hardest difficulty was and 
that was an insane challenge, but also a lot of fun to go back through the Witcher three. I, I could never bring myself to do that on that difficulty. It's just such a big game and there's so much to do and that would have to be redone that I couldn't do it with that one. So good for you. Well, I mean, like I kind of did what you did where I reached a point where Novigrad to me is the most boring kind of point in the game. Like it's very story heavy, but you know, the best part about playing on Death March was the monster battles felt like a real challenge. Like, when I got into a monster battle, it wasn't just like, I fight a monster. It's like, I got to go through all my potions, take some white honey, which clears your toxicity down, go through another round of potions, and potentially take another white honey to get my toxicity down and go potentially through another one. So it felt like, like I had to be using everything I'd learned through my first gameplay. And that was amazing. But then I got to Novigrad, and I also just put the game down for like four months, you know, five months. It really it bored you that bad being in Novigrad? It's just so slow compared to the rest of the game. But, I mean, you can sort of dish that out at your own pace, right? It's not like you're forced to do all the stuff in Novigrad. You know, you, you do a bit, go explore, do some Witcher contracts, uh, you know, and then come back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I agree. I just, like... Uh, you know, this is, it's hard. There's just a lot of human battling and that's my least favorite part of this game. Like there's a lot of, of just human versus human battling in Novigrad. Like sure. There's a couple monster contracts that you can go fight like an Ekimara or you can go, you know, in the, the lower reaches of Novigrad because Novigrad is a massive city. Like kudos to CD Projekt Red for creating such a living, organic, beautiful full cityscape as novigrad because that was one of the fullest cities i've ever explored in a game you could say that about the the whole world uh, uh that they created in the wisher 3 and there's no other game that i've experienced where if you weren't there it feels like that world would continue like it wasn't just made for the hero or the player to be there it's just this is a place you happen to be there as well. And the things that you're doing happen to be there. But if you weren't there, like everyone's going to go about their day, you know, the, the stuff with Nilfgaard is still going to be going on. Like the world will continue. You know, you're not even <laughs> as silly as this is going to sound, even though uh, you're literally trying to save the world because of the wild hunt, it doesn't feel like the world's going to end if you're not there. You know what I mean? You're just Geralt of Rivia. And who yeah, the hell is this guy? One thing I wanted to touch on that you said earlier, the the Witcher senses. Uh, I like the Arkham version. Anytime I had to use them in a quest in The Witcher 3, I didn't like it. That's one of the things about this game I didn't like. Yeah. Good segue, by the way, because I was about to ask what your favorite and least favorite thing about the game was. I have a see. <laughs> <laughs> We're both plugged in, Mike. Uh, yeah, I don't. To me, the in the Batman games, the whole detective vision kind of made sense. You know, Batman's got his tech, he's got his visor, and visually, it was just much more appealing than it was in The Witcher Three, where you know the peripherals kind of get blurry and there's just this like vague orangeness, and it didn't really make me feel like. You know, Geralt 
did anything or was this like really good tracker or had these enhanced senses it was just like you hit the button it's like oh there's a big orange glowing spot you know so to me i, I don't know it, it felt cheesy okay i could dig that i mean i and yeah. i and i understand what you're saying and it's not like it was my favorite thing i just the idea of having to be like uh <laughs> my dog's going nuts right now hold on a second well, first distraction of the night. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, for me, the Witcher senses were just... They added something. Like, I liked the whole idea of... Like, I was a monster hunter. Like, it made me feel like a monster hunter. And that was, like, one aspect where it was, like, you show up somewhere, right? And say, for example, one of my most memorable contracts which I actually have gameplay footage of, so good segue too, um, was on Skellige, you have to go into this massive ancient forest and find a lesion that the local villagers make you go find. And I just remember like this feeling of you go into the forest and you don't really know what you're looking for, but then you just find these and, and you know, and everything's kind of blending in because the train's so, you know, thick and lush and you can't really distinguish things all that well but then suddenly there's just like some dismembered body parts and then you're like whoa and then you follow this blood trail and it gets you on a on a you know on a quest that gets you following some footsteps and those footsteps get you deeper into the forest then you maybe you fall into a cabin where a werewolf's waiting underneath or you go to like a bog where there's a a grave hag sitting there and she just starts throwing mud at you. And you're just like, what the hell, man? I'm just going for a walk in the woods, looking for some dismembered body parts, you know, like, Oh yeah. To totally casual looking for dismembered body parts. After a monster hunter, a witcher. Yeah. Pretty casual. But so do you see how the, the way you're describing it sounds a lot more interesting and badass than what it actually is, which is go to the red circle, click on the witcher senses and just, you're going to do this, you know, circle around the drain kind of thing until you find that glowing orange thing. And then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again until you're at the lesson. Or until you found the clue so you can go back to where you need to go to, you know, fight the lesson in this example. Okay, but, but my argument is where those trails take you helps you organically explore areas. 100%. 100%. I no argument on that. And that's to me, uh, you know, you asked what some of my favorite things are, is why the Witcher contracts are great. Because uh, it's forcing you to go sort of off the beaten trail and you discover all these incredible areas. That's also why I loved going for all of the Witcher school armors. I feel like all those locations were incredible. Uh, especially, I forget which piece of the bear school it is, but it's just this, you know, sort of ruined fortress on top of a cliff with wyverns circling it and you just have to go in there and you're trying to fight the wyverns off and you know not fall out of the castle down the cliff like stunning loved it and i if i wasn't you know going on a contractor searching for these you know awesome looking armors in my opinion i never would have come across those locations sure sure and you know what it's funny that you mentioned the bear armor because i was the only one i didn't do oh the, the bear armor, I would say, is the, the Batman armor of the Witcher. It almost looks like a trench coat. It's freaking awesome. But the only way you can get the... Because uh, a lot... What Steve's talking about is that a lot of the Witcher armor schematics, like you have to get maps that 
lead you to where clues are to collect one of five pieces of your armor. And the bear school stuff, well, you could only buy from a, a merchant in Skellige. Hmm. Is that, is that true? Well, I mean, so one of the one of the things we'll, you know, we touched on, and I'm going to defer to you for most of the stuff that happens in the game is because my experience last playing this game was four or five years ago. Yours was, you know, like four or five weeks ago. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm more inclined to believe what you say uh, versus me. But, you know, Skellige, probably my favorite location in the whole game. Yeah, I know. That was the thing where you were like, you were hyping me up hard. You were like, man, just wait till you get to Skellige. Yeah, I remember that. You might have hyped me up a little too much. Which is now when when anybody asks me something, I just say, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> because of me? Because <laughs> because of the let... It wasn't a letdown. Look, everything's got its influence, right? Like, Velen has this beautiful, like, lagoon, bog, dead heart of Romania marshes of Poland kind of feel. Novigrad kind of has these rich fields of like farmland and, and you know, everything's a little prettier and everything's a little more open and a little more put together. And, you know, when you get to Skellige and it's clearly very influenced by Scandinavian culture, like very 100%. influenced by Scandinavian culture. So it was beautiful in that sense. It was very beautiful. Well, there's something about, uh, you know, hopping around island to island, um, uh, you know, just on that, those little boats, exploring all these little places. And I think it's one of the few places where you get a warm welcome in The Witcher 3. So it's nice to just be like, you know, you got these people be like, ah, Geralt, good to see you again. Oh, you know, how do we have to slay some monsters? And you're just like, no, no, you know, we got some serious business and leads into one of my favorite quests. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. I mean, you know, and I wish I, there's one mechanic I wish I had known on my first playthrough because I did enjoy Skellige a lot more on my second playthrough. But on my second playthrough too, by the time I got to Skellige, I was very efficient and motivated with my intentions in sure. regards to what I wanted to do. And a lot of the quest lines that were coming up were still so fresh from my last gameplay that I was able to just breeze through. But, you know, when I got to Skellige the first time, I guess I was looking for something else because for me my favorite area is Kaer Morin. but it's such a small area so beautiful something about it is I, I agree I right agree. size right topography like you're just in the mountains just like above the clouds it was like every time you walk out of anywhere there's just clouds and mountains everywhere and I'm just like damn it feels like I'm in the sky mm -hmm. it is a great it is a beautiful spot uh and, you know, like, Care Morin in Witcher 1 versus Witcher 3, like, holy moly. It goes from, you know, like, a, some kid's Playmobil set to just this stunning freaking thing out of, you know, Lord of the Rings. Like, it's like you ended up in Rivendell all of a sudden. It's true. Because I, I was even looking at, like, comparative pictures, and I was like, what is this Lego playset that they put yeah. into 3D? Yeah. It was a big step up, and that was really cool to see. Uh, going back to care more for the first time in Witcher Three, you know, I can I, you're just sort of there going, whoa! <laughs> you push open the front doors and you step in there, like, oh, it was awesome, totally awesome. And that was my magic place. I don't know, something about it just caught me so 
maybe it's also like right time, right place, because they do do a good job basing on how fast you're playing through the narrative when you get there. I think it's mm-hmm. like if I could give anyone advice on how to push through this thing, it is like when you get to certain places, take your time in certain areas. But I like, you know, on my second playthrough, I spent, I, I, you know, I told you I took a lull in Novigrad, but just every time I got to care more and it was like this, the best way I could say it is like, I felt like I was breathing this breath of fresh air every time, every time. So I think that brings us to sort of uh, one of the big talking points of The Witcher 3, which is the main narrative versus all the other stuff you can do. And what do you prefer? What do you think is better, I guess? Well, I guess, like you, my favorite part is The Witcher Witcher contracts. I think that's one of the most unique things that I've ever seen in a game because it's just like, like I even I even think this is what the show should have been. Like Geralt rolls up to a town, gets a Witcher contract. Like I know it's based off the books. I get it. I get it. And mm-hmm. everything with Renfrey, Renfrey, right, uh, has to happen, and it, it gets him the reputation of the Butcher of Balaklov or blah 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 blah. Blaviken, Butcher of Blaviken. There it is. There it is. Uh, but like, yeah, you you just roll up to a town, and some guys like Witcher. Uh, my son's been kidnapped by this and that. Like you, maybe maybe you're gonna engage with them, maybe you don't. But either way, you're gonna get to the communal board, and somebody's just the local lords, like you know, monster scene and the black lagoon stealing <laughs> children, and you know, and you're just like, and you're just like, and you just pull it off, and you just set on your way, and like it's just so straightforward. Like find the monster, maybe kill him or do blank because. Everything is so ambiguous and the morality compass in this game is the grayest and most not black and white I've ever experienced in my entire life. So that, but like, yeah. Yeah, rarely, I'd say outside of the wild hunt, there sort of is no just like, these are the good guys, those are the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Did you you enjoy the main main storyline? Yes, because when I found out what Geralt's overall story is, which is like something that's there, but it's not really made obvious, obvious, obvious. Like if you're paying attention really closely, you can get the nuance of it. But like the whole idea is, is that there was an incident that happened in a town before the game started where there was going to be like a, there was like a moment of like human racism against a bunch of mages or monsters or like halflings or something. And like, and Geralt and his girl, Yennefer, a mage, just were about to get slaughtered, like stabbed with pitchforks and everything. And then Ciri just shows up and transports them to this island. And they're chilling on this island for, you know, living this happy life. They've finally gotten away from it all. And then the Wild Hunt comes and pretty much kidnaps Yennefer because they're trying to get to Ciri. And they figure if they kidnap one or both of them, um, they're going to get to... Their, Ciri will come and rescue them. But what ends up happening is Geralt ends up catching up to the white the Wild Hunt and ends up trading himself for Yen and loses his memory and ends up becoming this like marauder in a sense with no memory, hunting with the Wild Hunt and like rolling with them for a little while and then eventually stumbles out of it when I'm not going to spoil what happens, but like, they do reveal why he gets out of it, like how, how he kind of gets pushed out of it and then loses his memory. And, you know, and when that comes full circle, you're meeting Yen again, you're... Well, why not spoil it? Well, 
It's been a long time, and I kind of like to know. I wouldn't mind that refresher. Well, I'm pretty sure. Pardon my French, uh, but I'm pretty sure what happens is uh, there's like a moment where Siri jumps back in and she uses her magic in like a battle, and it kind of thrusts and it teleports Geralt out of there. And he's like, "Whoa, what just happened?" Like this big thing that is also tied to the the events that ruptures above Skellige that drops Siri off there in the first place. And also what Mike's talking about is leading up into The Witcher 1, not The Witcher 3. Yes, yes. But it takes Witcher 1, 2, and 3 to realize the truth of why you lost your memory. Mm-hmm. So it's all tied yeah. in. Yeah. And it starts out like the beginning of 3 is, you know, you and Vesemir, which is your Witcher teacher, who was a great character, really enjoyed him, was really sad to see him go in the Battle of Kaer Morhen, uh, looking for Yennefer. Because she's supposed to, if I remember correctly, she's supposed to have a clue to where Ciri is. I could be wrong. Like You're I said, just trying to find her. Work. You're just trying to find her. You're just like, I miss Yen and I remember who Yen is now. Right. Because in, in number one and two, you know, you get to have a romance with Triss, this other mage, who's Yen's best friend, who you love. <sighs> <laughs> do we want to do the whole uh yeah not, not, not yet not yet not yet right now you got to okay. tell me whether you liked the main narrative or not i did i did um i think i was more invested in it the second time around when i was trying to do things correctly by the end of my first playthrough sort of like you like i was just trying to get through it but i don't feel like it ever reached the heights of some of just the other things you could do. Uh, like all of the bosses when you're fighting the wild hunt, they felt like anticlimactic because it's, it's basically just a human fight against a big human kind of thing. Um, it's like the set pieces were nice. Like, yeah, I think the first one you fight on top of like a snow capped mountain, another one in like his mage dungeon or lab, whatever you want to call it. And, I think the last guy, it starts on a ship, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and then you end up so on like, a mountain. Yeah, again, with the mountain, you know. Uh, so, like, they all look cool. Uh, and, you know, like, their armors are awesome. They look like these really big, imposing, super powerful villains. But then you fight them, and it's just, you know, dodge, attack, dodge, attack. Like, there's no sort of no nuance to it. Uh, so, in that sense, it felt underwhelming. Versus, you know what you described earlier, you get a contract, you hunt this thing down, you learn more about it. You're get, adding information to your bestiary so you can figure out, you know, what oils are going to work on your sword or what decoctions you can use to, you know, maybe take some more hits. And then you either summon it because that's part of the ritual or you're, you find it in the woods or in a cave or something. And some of those monsters, like the designs on them are incredible. Yeah. But so, you know what? No, no, but you're right. You're right. Because in truth, the boring, like I told, like I mentioned earlier, the most boring part of the game was fighting other humans. Because like, even though it was like, it happens, it, it, it is just kind of tedious. I will say this though, playing the Aridin, the final fight on, on Death March and fighting the, his two lieutenants beforehand was so much more intense and engaging on Death March. Like, when I played it on normal, it was kind of like, bleh, this is, you know, it was a challenge, but it's like, you get through and whatever. On Death March, it was like, 
I am on the edge of my seat. I am using every potion I have. I am using every magical ability I have. Like I had to really, I, I played it the way I, and it was, I think it was intended to be played, which is like, use every friggin' skill you have built in this game now. And I had to. Do you, like, that sounds awesome. Uh, and it does sound, like, narratively, that makes more sense, right? Because the way that they're built up, like, they're supposed to be these powerful, imposing people that, you know, even somebody like Geralt, who is superhuman, is going to struggle with. Do you think, I, I guess this is more of like a technical video game question, that the difficulty should have to be cranked to 11 so you can get the proper experience? Or should normal be, like, should you, shouldn't you feel that way on what's considered near normal? In the age of Elden Ring? Uh, oh, God. I know, I know, okay, okay. <laughs> Don't trigger my PTSD. Okay, okay. No. I'm going to say no, because... I think the casual player that is not a veteran gamer like you and I will not find normal as easy and they would not have put in as much grind as you and me did before we got to that boss battle. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. For me, I needed to go to Death March, not because the human fights were what was satisfying me. I was finding myself rushing through the monster fights and that was disappointing me. I wanted those to be more epic. I wanted those to challenging me because that was the game for me. It was the monster fights. So I was like, how do I make these juicier? And that's how I made them juicier. And everything else was just a side, you know, a side dish. Sure. So then do you, is there any moment or quest that stands out above the rest? Uh, yeah. I mean, Toussaint, the DLC, Heart, Hearts and Wine. There was... Blood and wine. Blood and wine. Yeah, blood and wine. Yeah, I know, stone. And the other one is hearts of stone, yeah. Hearts of stone. Um, just Toussaint, Toussaint in, in general was just beautiful. And like, I didn't even need to be doing monster quests to be having a great time there. But if there's an individual monster quest that stuck out to me, it was on my first gameplay that I never found again. Uh, and it was... You have to, you think you're hunting a fiend and it's in, it's in Velen. You go to this small village on the east side of uh, the keep, on the lake that the keep is on, where the Velen keep, I don't remember what it's called, uh, but where the Bloody Baron's keep. And to the east of it, just past the lake and past a little bit of a forest, is this small village and you, you have to be a higher level to activate this quest. And you think you're hunting a fiend. And then after you you hunted it for a while, you stumble into its lair and you find its dead body there. And you realize a bigger creature has eaten the fiend and killed the fiend and then it stumbles on you. That was epic. That one was epic. What about yourself? Probably, and this is going to be a tie into the Trissian thing a bit. It's, it's one of the few things that I can remember, but it made me laugh so hard and it stuck with me. So when I, I don't, I don't remember if it's Geralt or Yen that initiates it, but they want to go find the genie 
that you know they think granted them the wish of them being in love so they want to find the genie take it out so that the wish doesn't exist anymore to see if their love is real or if it's just a product of this wish so me being a, a Triss fan because she was there for me since the Witcher one unlike this 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 trollop Yennefer that just showed up <laughs> in the Witcher 3 uh you know took out the genie with her and then you're sitting there you know your legs are dangling off a cliff or something and she's like you know do you still feel the same about me and I just went nope <laughs> and she was so upset but I just I thought it was so funny because he was just like no I don't I'm sorry <laughs> and then I just you know went and found Triss it's like yeah Triss you're the best uh, I, I, it's it probably shouldn't have been as funny as it was, but I still, it gets a chuckle out of me. Uh, that was one of my favorite moments. So you kind of got it right. They are going to find a djinn whose master did not use its final wish. And so Yen wants to find the djinn spirit to evoke its final wish. So it, the djinn, and she convinces the djinn to allow her to use its master's unused wish, which is break the curse or break the their bond. In order, and she seduces it by saying, "You will be free, finally, of your bondage to this world if you allow, if you use your funds." Okay, we're here. We're here. Why Triss? It's Triss versus Yen. That's that's a question here. You have two love interests. Why Triss? One. Well, like I said, so you know, for having, for having been on this journey since The Witcher One, you know, you, you start there. You have no memory, but who's there for you? Not Yen. Triss is. Triss is there. She's there for you through all of Witcher 1. She's there for you in The Witcher 2. Every, the whole world's turned its back on you, but she knows you didn't kill King Foltest. She's there for you. And she's still there for me in The Witcher 3. And she's there for me in Toussaint, at, at the mansion you get to build. And it hurts me. because It hurts me because it's just like the whole love story and like the background story. And again, I didn't play Witcher 1 and 2, so I don't have this like relationship to Triss because I'm clearly a Yen guy. But Yen is like, I'm gonna say it, a bitch. She's a bitch. Uh, and <laughs> she does treat Geralt like crap. And you have to be a bit of a like a, a love masochist or like a, a self, self-inflicted, you have to hate yourself a little bit to love, love Yen because she does like, she's blunt. She's abrasive, and but she fit because I was starting on Witcher Three. The story is like after three games, you're finally reunited with Yen, and he one of the first things he asks is like, "Yo, why didn't you come find me, girl? Like, why didn't you come find me? You knew I was there. You probably heard from Triss. Like, you probably knew I was sleeping with your best friend. Like, mm -hmm. why didn't you come find me?" And she doesn't give you a good answer. She doesn't give you a good mm -hmm. answer. But I was still like, you know what? This is my OG. This is my OG. And, and I'm way more into girls with black hair or brunettes, darker hair than I am redheads. So, so there's a, there's a anime term for what Yen is, and it's a sundere. She is a sundere plain as day. I'm not, I'm not going to waste any time explaining what that is, but the people who know, know, I'm not here. I'm not about that life, you know? Uh, and I, it's like, I, I didn't know for, for two three games I didn't know about their romance in these books so like yeah I was trying to do what I thought Geralt would do but at the same time like get out of here if I had played yeah. one and two maybe maybe 
Maybe I don't think so. You just said you're not into redheads. But I don't know. But like, you know, but there is the truth of like, you know, let me ask you this, because I don't know this answer. In Witcher 1 and 2, do you get a lot of other options? Uh, you get uh, Shawnee, from what I can remember, and there's a lot of prostitutes. I think, I think in the first game, it, it was the first or the second one, you get these, like, anytime you sleep with somebody, you get, like, a card of just, like, nudie art of that person. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember which one that was, but that was a thing, and it's for the best that they put the kibosh on that. Yeah, because I remember reading about that, and that was, like, part of the thing when I was reading about, like, some of the the setbacks when they did Witcher 1 was, like, and I told you about this when we were just talking about this the first time, where they said something along the lines of, like, well, they had to cut a couple, like, hundred hours or something of, of audio recording because their justification was that it was too dirty, that it was like a lot of a lot of the a lot of what they're saying was going to be too graphic for audiences or was too vulgar, but then like somebody pointed out on the on the comments underneath was like I'm pretty sure they just couldn't pay the voice actors because they kept in like all the raunchiest stuff and one of the things was like, they freaking left in <laughs> naked cards but they were worried about somebody saying the, the dropping an f bomb or saying like hey I want to do things to you that are unmentionable on this podcast like yeah that definitely sounds more likely because all the sex scenes are fully voiced. <laughs> It's it's true, it's true. I, like I don't think I, I'm yet to see uh, one of those scenes in a video game that is just not totally cringy. It's true, it's true because it's not like I I always just wanted to like get through them as quick as quick as I could and like there's all that jokes with Yen and the unicorn. Like I don't know if you got to experience Yen and the unicorn stuff or not. Isn't that in the beginning? Well, when you first meet her, but like. Did Geralt still sleep with her, even though you were into Triss? I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I I know I still got that scene of her, like... Oh, but that was in the past anyway. When they show, like, a young Siri and the, the two of you at Care More in the past, and she sends, like, a crab monster into the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's when she talks about the unicorn. So that stuff's all in the past anyway, before you've lost your memory. Well, when you when you romance Yen, you see the unicorn, the stuffed unicorn a lot. It's there a lot. Unicorn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're just naked on the stuffed unicorn. Uh, I got no video of that, and nor would I post it on the video version of this, but yeah. It exists on YouTube uh, all over the place already. If if you If people want to see it, they can. Do you know what happens if you try to romance them both, Mike? You lose them both. Yeah, but they hog tie you to a bed and then just leave you there. Really? And then, you, and then, yeah, and then you just you get no more romance options until the DLC. You know, maybe you can redeem yourself with Shawnee. Well, you know, I didn't get to Shawnee because of my DLC blunder. What's the blunder, Mike? Tell us about your blunder. Well. There is a proper way to play the DLCs. <laughs> there is. There is. I, I, I would agree. So you have Heart of Stone and you have Blood and Wine. Mm -hmm. Two great expansions. Blood and Wine is better, but they're both great. And I decided to play Blood and Wine first because you get offered a new mechanic called uh, Mutations. And what Mutations do is when you're looking at your... Uh, mutagen skill tree, which is sort of like 
kind of part of your leveling up throughout the game was you get to, every time you kill a monster, they leave either red, green, or blue mutagens behind. And you can combine those mutagens to make your skill set stronger. And you apply those mutagens as your skill set tree gets larger. And there's a cap on it. And because I'd been playing New Game Plus, I started maxed out. So I was like, all I wanted to do was finally get to this mutations thing because it expands your skills tree. Like I was, I was so excited and I was like, okay, I'll play through both DLCs. But Blood and Wine was so good and so climactic and so fulfilling and so endgame that I just, I tried to turn on Heart of Stone and it was so unfulfilling. It was just empty and shallow by comparison. And it's not. It's, it, you, you said it really well there. I mean, Blood and Wine... I think it was a couple of years after Heart of Stone. The, like, there was a while in between those two releases. It really does feel like the end of Geralt's story. Like it's it's his happy ending, uh, as much as it can be in you know that crazy messed up world that The Witcher takes place in. You know, like you finish the story and that, and then you know you hop back to the mansion. Yen or Triss is waiting for you, and you know, like that's sort of it to continue from there would just feel weird i'm sure it's like some people don't care but again with us being such narratively driven people it felt it would feel weird and it's it's a shame because uh i think you like you missed out on a, a gem in heart of stone uh that was a really interesting kind of mini story and you know the the main sort of puppeteer character behind that is a really cool is what you would almost call like godlike in his power and to come up against him at the end of it was is really cool like something unique and i found in the in the witcher 3 like there, there's no other quest or mission or ex fight or anything that i can equate to that like it was very unique uh and is one of like the few things that still stuck with me you know after all these years so it's too bad but i completely get it, it it's a shame but yeah, like the the for both of us, like you know that book is closed, right? Yeah, it's gonna be a if I ever play Witcher three again, it's gonna be a decade from now on the thirtieth anniversary edition or the twentieth anniversary edition or whatever's coming out. Yeah, ultra enhanced, uh, you know, blow your eyeballs out edition. Yeah, yeah, and even then, I'll know how to play it, but I don't know. Like, I don't, I. You know, you put in 120 hours. I put in 350 hours. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't, I can't just go back down that road. Like, I'm maxed out, man. Like, it's done for me. Has it ruined open worlds for you? Well, you know, without getting into it, a little bit because like I, I, you guys, like, you know, you and Simon, our good friend are playing Elden Ring along with me right now. And, and you're, you guys are in it way more than I am because I don't think I'll ever play a story that is so with such a rich narrative. That was one of the best stories. Like, and let me put it this way. Maybe not one of the best stories I've ever heard, but one of the best games that kept me in the story. And to hear you say that, Witcher 2 and 1 were even more narrative focused, that blows my mind. Because Witcher 3 was already like one of the most 
engagingly narrative video games I've ever played. I didn't say that so much about Witcher 1, and my point more so about 2 was that because it's not an open world, the plot is always chugging ahead. Uh, as opposed to in like any game, you know, uh, Witcher 3, the Grand Theft Auto games, the Assassin's Creeds, they all have main plots, and they're su maybe not GTA so much, but they're supposed to be urgent, right? You know, like in The Witcher 3, you, you have to find Ciri before the Wild Hunt does, because if you don't, they're gonna, you know, destroy the universe or whatever it is. But then it's like, I am just gonna go hunt monsters for like 12 hours, you know? Like that sense of urgency is lost, which is fine. Like that's just the, it's a concession you have to make when your game is an open world game. So I'm not trying to poo-poo the story of 3 uh, or say that, you know, 2's was better. Personally, I, I liked it a bit better, but I, three as a game is way better. It's just that two has that constant forward momentum. Well, I mean, I remember watching Grab my buddy Grabka, like Grabka play, and I remember like the story beats he was seeing were pretty like insane. Honestly, more insane than even Witcher three. Like, there were so many more high stakes decisions coming at him, like with massive massive consequences because those consequences weren't just for that game they rolled into witcher 3 as well like right well and in the witcher 2 that they're just because king foltes gets assassinated doesn't mean that this war has stopped so you have the war going on you have nilfgaard threatening to attack everybody while this war is going on depending on uh in witcher 2 there's two paths you can choose you can go with um the scoyatel which leads you to one side of the war. And then if you go with the other guy who I actually really like him. Roach? Roach. Thank you. And big shout outs to Roach's voice actor, whoever you are. Uh, did a great job. Uh, or you can go with Roach and you get a whole different side of the story. And you're fighting different people. So that game was awesome. And there's, a, there's an entire part of it that I haven't seen. Because... Even though I replayed it, I did the same thing because I just like those people better. And actually, go, go ahead. But is it Shawnee that's the Scoyatel cider? No. Uh, it's another really cool character. Uh, let me, I'll look up his name real quick. Shawnee's only in the first one and then in the DLC. Uh, Witcher 2 Scoyatel. Interesting. Because I, I knew it would be Vernon Roach right away because he's Defense Temeria. Yeah, uh, Yorveth. He's this guy, he's got, he's a, a elf and he's got an eye patch like this, it's red. He almost looks like an elven pirate, but he's just a wicked character. But he talks so much shit. Yeah, he's not like your biggest fan. <laughs> but you end up helping them uh, if you want to. Crazy, crazy. And it's like, it sounds almost like they almost position you to help Roach over Yorveth. It's your choice. It's your choice. Uh, I think Roach probably is the, like you said, a bit more of the obvious choice. Uh, I think you come up against less friction if you side with him. But uh, I, I don't know. They're they're both really good. They're both really they're great characters. But I, I'm this reminded me of probably my favorite quest in The Witcher Three. Okay. Because this guy's in The Witcher Two as well. Uh, King Radovid. When you get to take him out, 
Oh, man, was that some sweet justice slash revenge that was like 10 years in the making. Like, mm. Did oh, you kill oh. him? Oh, hell yeah. That guy is a scum of the earth. So I didn't kill him. Guess who did? I don't think I can talk to you anymore, Mike. No, no, guess who? No, someone killed him. Guess who did? Uh, the blind witch? Yeah. Yeah, I forget her name now. It's not Fringilla. No, Fringilla's from Novigrad. Uh, Philippa. Philippa Ironheart. Yeah, Fi uh, Ilehart. Philippa Ilehart. That's right. Yeah, yeah, because he's the one who blinded her. Yeah, well, in my version, it was like me and Roach chase him down, and then she's behind a door waiting for him, and she just cuts him. No, so I got to take him out. Uh, and it's the, so what's the, like the fat guy uh, that's bald? What's his name? Uh, freaking Dijkstra. Dijkstra, yeah, Dijkstra's the one who puts me up to it. Well, I killed Dijkstra. Oh, <laughs> whoa. Yeah, because they get him. Yeah, because because Dijkstra, there's a whole thing where he ambushes you and I think it's Roach because he asks you after that quest line, you have a choice. And I think you might have made the same choice and you probably killed Dijkstra too. Nope. But after that quest, right after that quest, that you meet at the theater, and when you meet at the theater, um, Roach is there, Dijkstra's there, you're there, and Dijkstra's like, all right, I'm going to be the king of Tamaria now, and everything's going to be according to me. And then, like, Roach is like, no way. I'm going to be the king of Tamaria. Roach doesn't say that. Yeah, no, no, he doesn't say that. He's just like, he's like, no, Tamaria's going to be free, and we want to elect our, our representatives. And you have a choice whether you're like, and then Dijkstra's like, get out! You're going to let me rule Tamaria and, and and whatever Redania, Redania? Or are you going to, you know, let Tamaria be the free dogs? And I was like, I'm going to let Tamaria be the free dogs. And I had to kill Dijkstra right there. I don't remember killing Dijkstra, man. That's what happens. I don't know. I don't Maybe you did a string of events. At the same time, I really pissed off Dijkstra because I, when it comes time for you to, like, gather allies to help you care more Everyone helped me but Dijkstra. Yeah. Uh, Dijkstra didn't help me either. That means you probably pissed him off too. You would have had to kill him. You would have had to. It seems like something I would have been okay with doing and not like blocked from my memory. Or maybe I just, I didn't give him that much of a thought. He's nothing to me. Dijkstra. It was right after you killed Radovid, so it would have been such a minor footnote in comparison. Probably, but getting rid of Radovid was the best. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, you're not the first person to echo that sentiment because, like, a lot of people were, I don't know, just complaining, like, hardcore about, like, just Radovid. The fact that you can, like, there is a version of this game when you finish it where Radovid lives it continues his cruelty. Couldn't do it. And, yeah, oppresses more mages and kills more people because he's just, like, he becomes such a tool. He's a... He He's an older version, older, worse version, I would almost argue, of that uh, kid who becomes king in the game in Game of Thrones in the first season. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forget his name. Yeah, yeah, blonde boy. Yeah, yeah. So you wanted to talk about something? I remember that's on our list. Uh, how did you feel about playing a Siri? Because there's a few cutaways where you get to play a Siri. Uh, I enjoyed it. So. Even though I was playing on normal, like, you know, Geralt's 
pretty badass. You know, you have your signs and your potions and all this. But there's still stuff that can take you out. Playing as Siri with her abilities, like that, that teleport slash where you can just chain it between enemies. Uh, one, like, it was cool getting to know Siri a bit uh, and seeing the things that she'd went through like after you'd investigated it as Geralt. It was, I liked seeing it from her perspective. Um, and then, yeah, just being this just crazy powerful swordsman only, pretty much, uh, with, you know, the, that teleporting ability. I thought it was awesome. I was a big fan. I didn't mind it on normal, but then on Death March, it was so annoying. It was so annoying because, like, it just threw these stupid, difficultly hard fights for no reason. Like, I, I struggled with five or six fights I had to do, which I'll say were Elden Ring caliber fights where I had to do over and over and over again. But there was not mm -hmm. one fight I had to do more than when I had to freaking play a Siri when she fights the Witches of the Wild. I had to play that fight 25, 26 times. It's so annoying. And it just annoyed the shit out of me playing a Siri because of that. Like, there's so many moments where you're just... The gameplay style you get used to and you kind of need to survive as Geralt. Like, you need your decoctions to play on Death March. But then, like, your Siri, you don't have your decoctions. You just... You kind of... Your health bar goes up really slowly if you lose health. And, like, in that fight, they're just throwing stuff at you. Boom, 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 boom. And it was just like, man... 20 plus times I at least had to play that fight. It was so stupid. So you're talking about the crones, right? Yeah, the crones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think if you didn't get stuck like that, then you would be able to look back and be like, yeah, playing in Syria was cool? No, no. No? <laughs> there, was a couple, there was a couple annoying fights. There was like a basilisk fight. I remember it was annoying. That was the first one that I was like, okay, this is getting dumb. Uh, there's another one where like, hey, I, I keep saying it. I died more times to bandits than anything else in this game. And when I was playing as Siri, playing as bandits, it was even worse. And not only that, there was another time, there was another friggin' time, where the Battle of Kaer Morhen, you have to jump between Geralt and Siri back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. And like, and the game glitched, and I was stuck in this area as Siri, and I had to replay this whole part of the battle just to get through it. And like, every time something could go wrong or would go wrong, it happened when I was Siri. Like... It, it 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 annoyed me. On, on normal, I enjoyed it because it was just like, okay, I breeze through. Here's a little like cutscene that informs the story. You know, cool new powers on Death March, where combat now matters, and your and your decoctions matter, and your ability to heal certain ways matters. No, no, Death March ruined her for me. That's too bad. That's too bad. Do you like her as a character at least? Yeah. Oh yeah, I loved her as a character. I would prefer her as just a character. Okay. At least we can, you know, end on a positive note for Siri. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. But look, overall, the richness of the characters, you know, I, I you know, I, I can sense we're winding down on this thing because we've hit a lot of, we've hit a lot of our beats here. Mm -hmm. And like, to culminate on that, the things that really make this game memorable above all else is the fact that, A, it's rich characters everywhere. Like, nobody's black and white. Everyone's such a distinct, unique backstory and character. And, like, you want to hate monsters that actually have brilliant personalities you end up falling in love with. You want to love humans that are charming at first but end up being giant a-holes. And, like, you want to murder it right away. And then, like, at the same time, 
because of this richness of characters, there's not a single quest where like, you know, I'm coming off of Odyssey playing this game and I played a little Valhalla and like I played Ghost of Tsushima and there's, there's your standard, what are called fetch quests. Fetch quests are like, you go here, you get this, you come back and you talk to some NPC that's generic. There is not a single quest that feels the same in this game. And it is partially because of how rich even the, the most minor of minor characters are in this game. I am uh, incredibly offended you just lumped those two Assassin's Creed games in with Ghost of Tsushima. I don't I'm care. Gonna move I gotta move past that. I gotta move past that because I agree with everything else you said. Other than that, other than that one slight, I completely agree. Yeah, but I mean, like, what's your most memorable, like, you think back at Witcher and this is the most memorable thing for you, like, bam, like, this is why it's uh, it's in your heart as gold. Oof. I kind of, for me, it's pretty much the same. It's just, it's not this super simple, they're good, they're bad if you're helping people, you're doing the right thing. I mean, you can be helping people and it has bad consequences. It's not, it's much more ambiguous, which especially when it came out, even all three of them is not something that is really common in video games. Uh, what I've said a few times now, just how alive that world feels. I don't think any other game has come close and to be able to spend that 150 hours in there, no experience has touched that in terms of an open world game. Not even close. And, you know, like, the, the, I, I, the writing is great too, which is why you fall in love with those characters, you know, like Triss or Yen, Vesemir, Siri, some of the people on Skellige, Roach, like, there's all these memorable characters that you can, you know, love to hate, hate to love, love to love. To me, I don't know, there is another game that's done that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I can think of one that got me, but it was across, like, three games. But it's still... You're talking about Mass Effect. I am talking about Mass <laughs> You knew, you knew right away. You're like, you're of like... Of course. Yeah, because Mass Effect was the closest I've ever come to, like richness of characters in that degree where I was like in tears when you know the beginning of number two happens but we'll we'll eventually get there for sure for sure uh, but that was over the course of three games as opposed to just this one epic massive beautifully created game I know so can you just as like a final note from you I'm very curious and I figure we might as well share this can you remember making a decision where you're like, I really messed up besides the ending where you're like, there's a quest or something you did where you're like, I regret that. I don't think I can remember just cause it's been so long. No, the, if I, off the top of my head, the one thing I, I guess I've never been sure of is, is the Baron storyline. I think we both did the same thing where we did like the ritual so that the, like the demon baby goes away and the Baron takes his wife to like an insane asylum. It's hard to feel good about that one. Uh, and I don't think the other option is any better, but maybe, you know, like I that think one, the option's worse. I, I can't remember completely, but I just, I remember all that quest being one where I was just like, 
you know, like, glad I could help, question mark, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a version, but I'm pretty sure there's a version of things that can go wrong where, like, you either sacrifice the wife or you sacrifice the kids at the village, yeah. at the orphanage. To bring back their kid or something like that, right? It's not to bring back their kid. I just think there's a moment in the quest line where you have to, you say something to someone. To It's right after you talk to the godling child, the one who's like the little mischievous one in the forest, or the godling. It's not really a child. It's an immortal creature from the conception of spirit. But, um, but like, and based on that decision, either you come back and the kids are gone because the crones have used them all as sacrifices, but the wife is still there. And she's just, and the Baron gets her back, or B, the wife isn't there because she's like been slaughtered by the crones or something. I think you're mixing up. I think you're mixing up quests here, man. Because I remember there, there's definitely an option where the Baron takes his wife and leaves, and you've sacrificed like the baby that they brought back, which they is like possessed and disgusting. Yes. Really nasty. Yes. But when you first find where Sarah is, the wife, mm. she is there with a group of discarded children that have been lost to the to the swamp. And those children are gone if you save Sarah. And she is left as a husk for her husband to take away to the mountains, not an insane asylum. Um, those children are gone and is hinted at that they are like used in that cauldron of blood that you see the crones over later on. But there's another version where Sarah isn't there, but the children are. That sounds better. That's the beauty of Witcher 3, baby. What's better? Saving the children than this crazy lady, I think. So there you go. There's my greatest regret. What about you? Do you have one? You know, I remember you telling me you used to sympathize with the monsters more often because there is a lot of moments you can sympathize with the monsters. And I played as a cutthroat, just monster killer. I was like, if they gave me any reason to, to even consider that they were going to revert on their monster ways. Like, I remember there's this quest early on where, like, this sister, this this hunter hires you to find his dead wife. And you go out into the woods and you find her mutilated limbs. But then, like, her sister shows up and is like, leave this alone. Like, you don't know what happened. Like, this could be so much worse than you don't know. But you, I, you end up going anyways, and you find out that the husband was the werewolf. And that he slaughtered his wife in, like, a fit of rage. But then the sister's like, I can help them get better. I was like, no, I'm a monster hunter? And this guy slaughtered his wife? And you're going to tell me? You're going to tell me this guy's okay to live out here? No, head decapitated, bam. Like, maybe part of me, I was, I was cruel to monsters. I, that was my job. So shame on you, shame on you, and you're and you're a dog owner, poor poor dog. No dogs are fine in my game. <laughs> well, there's monster dogs in The Witcher Three. I don't know. That's 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 it. Like I I do kind of regret not making Siri the Empress a little bit. Hmm. I think that is what I did on my replay because it's either she becomes the empress or she becomes a witcher with you 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 did witcher you told me you did witcher 
Man, how is it that you remember what I did and I don't? This is really bad on me. Because you were my compass. Because you were my compass through this. Because you were the one who was like, every time I reached somewhere where I thought I was done or I was screwed, you would always be like, man, continue. Yeah. Well, do you remember getting to the Battle of Kaer Morhen? And then it feels like it's the end. It's like, all right, we're going to have this showdown. It's like, bah, you're like maybe halfway through. <laughs> so, Mike, if you had to rate this game out of 10, what are you giving The Witcher 3? Like a 9.9, .9 only because I don't want to give anything ever in my life a 10, but like a 10. It's a 10. It's a 10. To me, as an open-world role-playing fan, there's only like three 10s I can say I can give out in my life, and this is one of them. What about you? I'll give it. I'll give this one a ten. Good. I mean, we're not. We're, at the end of the day, we're not talking about anything unless we think it's a ten in our eyes, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, or at least like an eight or higher. I'd say like an eight. I'm. We're probably going to review like a seven point five somewhere in there. One of us is going to feel it's like a nine. Not review. We're not reviewing. We're not reviewing. We're just talking. Talking about. We're just talking. But we're not going to talk, we're probably going to talk about one game where like, you're going to be like, this is a 7.5 and I'm going to be like, this is a 9. Or like, you're going to be like, this, that was a 10 and I'm going to be like, that was like an 8 or a, you know, a 6.8 or something, you know, we'll, we'll maybe get there. You know, we're not always going to be that way. I'm looking forward to if we can make it to, uh, one of us makes the other play a game that that person really likes and the other one hates it. And then we just get into it. You know, I know there's a game coming up on my horizon I'm going to make you play that you, I don't know. It's going to be a flip of a coin for you. I don't know whether you're going to love it or hate it, but I love it. But I love it. Well, I think I know which one you're referring to, but uh, we'll leave that one for another time, Mike. Spoilers. But uh, if you made it this far, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Mike, it's always a pleasure, buddy. Always a pleasure, Steve. Until next time. Till next time. Uh, adios. Adios. Special thanks to our Beats master, Aaron Rastovic. Fantastic. Great game. That was a great game. One yeah, of the greats. Great, <laughs> great game.